I would like to welcome you all very warmly to this New Year's retreat here at IMS. Can I check, is the mic coming through clearly? Great. And my name is Yanai, and I'm very happy to be here with you. And This is Anushka and Tara, who will be uh, assisting us on the retreat. And As some of you who uh, may be wondering who, where the fourth member of this team is, uh, will be wondering, Catherine, um, my wife and teaching partner here on this retreat for many years, uh, she's not very well this evening. She's okay? Uh, She was on a flight, as was I, with some rather unwell gentlemen sitting quite nearby us, and somehow she seems to have taken on some of his karma, it would seem. Well, that's what we think happened, but whatever, she has a bit of a cold, more than a bit, and we just decided it was better for her to take care of herself tonight. She's given me something to read to you, which I will a little later, just to say hello from her. But for now, I'd like to just speak briefly to this beginning of the retreat and uh, it's lovely to see so many familiar faces here. Many of you have done this retreat before and I won't manage to catch all of your eye in the few moments I have to look around but uh, I look forward to seeing you over these days and likewise those of you who are new to this retreat and some of you completely new to IMS, very warmly welcome. Whoever you know yourself to be, however it is you come to be here. However you find yourself in this moment, you're very welcome here. And whatever your ethnicity, your skin colour, whatever your racial, social, religious or cultural background and heritage, you're very welcome here. Whatever your sexual orientation, your gender identity, your ability, your education, your financial status, whatever it might be that you know yourself to be, that's welcome here. And you're welcome here. And uh, for myself, coming over here from where I live in England, but having come from New Zealand where at least I grew up, it's sometimes a funny thing to be welcoming you, of whom most of you I imagine are from here, or closer to here than I am, into this space. And yet at the same time it feels very natural and right, a sense of welcoming you, for me, into something that feels like very much my home, and where I feel like I've lived pretty much all of my adult life. Not literally at IMS, although I did live here for a couple of years in the mid-90s, but um, into the space of a retreat such as we have here. And this retreat entitled the entitled Embodying the Heart of Wisdom. Really, this title an invitation to explore for ourselves what it means to both discover what is at the heart of the wisdom that is possible for us as human beings, equally to come to understand what is possible for our hearts when in contact with that wisdom. 
And to embody all of that, we could say the wise heart and the heart of wisdom, to live that in our lives and to ground that in our bodies. This is really an invitation to this the particulars of this retreat, which uh, we title in that way. And uh, I'll have quite a bit more to say through the evening and over the retreat, but for now, I'd like to uh, pass over to Anushka. So I'd also like to welcome you all here, uh, even though I am from equally far away. Uh, I come to you from San Francisco, California. Uh, and I usually come teach here at IMS um, in the summertime and the early fall. So it's an uh, unusual thing for me to come in this wintry uh, period. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's definitely a, a shocking uh, weather system for those of us from California. But also a very beautiful time to be on retreat. You know, it feels like there's something very um, appropriate about taking this time to go inwards, to quiet down, to simplify. Uh, and just as many animals may be hibernating during this time, uh, you too are going into a little hibernation for uh, this period of the turning of the year. And get a chance to uh, explore and live differently than you usually do. So I used to live on the East Coast, and so I've come here on retreat uh, many, many times. So I appreciate the uh, opportunity here to spend time at IMS also. And it's a really good facility for doing this kind of practice, for having the opportunity to put into practice the Buddha's teachings and to find out uh, what is actually true about the way to happiness, the way to well-being and contentedness. So some of the, the themes that come up for us as we enter into retreat, um, you know, both for those of you who have been on retreat before and for those who are new, are uh, entering into a different way of life that supports our learning, you could say, that supports this development of wisdom, uh, supports the development of kindness of compassion uh, supports clarity. And some of this is about simplifying our life. So we come on retreat and we let go of so many things that we are used to. So starting from the place that you're used to sleeping, uh, then you get offered food that may be different than the food that you're used to. Uh, you have these different people talking to you now. Uh, you don't know who already are from different places and different accents. And uh, and then you'll be doing some different activities than you usually do in your daily life. But one of the, the themes here is to uh, explore this path of letting go of some of the things that we usually think are going to be uh, places of refuge for us some of the things we usually try to rely on in our life that have proven to be unreliable. And to practice uh, something that is often called renunciation, so letting go of uh, unnecessary things 
uh, things that otherwise keep us busy and spinning around, kind of chasing our tails in samsara, you could say. So uh, there's many other ways that you could be spending your time over uh, New Year's. You may have seen also different flyers for uh, parties and events you could have gone to, and uh, very few of them would have listed renunciation, uh, simplicity, and silence as uh, characteristics of a great New Year party. But uh, I assure you this will be an excellent place to be. And uh, it's very moving to me actually to see uh, even though I knew so many people are coming, that so many people are making this choice, uh, wise choice, to uh, take part uh, together as a community, really, we'll be going through this in this unusual way of marking the turning of the year, the uh, turning of uh, seasons here. So among the things that we'll be letting go of also, that is um, part of the this ancient recipe, you could say, that we're following for awakening, is to let go of ways in which you usually have to constantly communicate to others about who we are uh, and project a sense of identity. So this is part of the being in uh, silence together, or at least to not be in the same kind of communication we usually are. So uh, maybe ask how many people this is your first time uh, coming on retreat can raise your hand if you are. Yeah. Great. Very welcome here. Um, the rest of you, even though uh, maybe it's not your first time, um, probably this is not how you spend the most of your time. So as we enter in, there's kind of an arrival period, I think, that everybody goes through. There's some kind of adjustment. And I experienced this also as a teacher, you know, not just from the travel, but a shifting from uh, one way of life into this other um, beautiful way of life that we have to live here. So I encourage you to be very patient with yourself as you're landing here. And really this first evening, first day or so, just allow yourself to get your bearings. You know, try and move a little bit slower, maybe a little bit more gently. Allow yourself to settle in. You might find yourself feeling tired, and that's okay. So you just consider yourself entering this period of retreat that we have. This is kind of the entry entryway. Some things that can facilitate that. So one is the letting go of the ways in which we're usually very busy in our mind and uh, busy in words. So uh, we'll talk about uh, many of the aspects of the trainings that we'll take up. But uh, one of them that the Buddha didn't have to talk about, but that we will talk about here, is the renunciation of your cellular devices. Mm-hmm. So uh, for some people this is totally fine and you can't wait to get rid of it and it's a great relief. For others of us, we could recognize that we become very dependent on these devices and we are identify with them. We use them when we're bored. Uh, we use them when we think nobody is thinking of us. Uh, we use them to look up all kinds of random facts that wander through our minds. Uh, so here we have the opportunity to uh, let go of checking into all of our social media accounts and start to log into our own heart, mind, and body. And we will give you all the passwords you need for these. As a support to this, uh, we're going to um, recommend that you will... Uh, 
renounce your cell phone and give it to the office to hold during the period of the retreat. So all of your cell phones will go on their own meditation retreat uh, in a safe in the office locked up. And then you will get them back uh, at the end. And then you will get to commune with them again to uh, commune on how your retreats went. So in case you didn't expect that, um, I encourage you tonight to um, put whatever, you know, do not disturb thing on your voicemail or email or I'll be away until the uh, 7th of January. Uh, And then bring it to the first uh, reflection instruction sitting. Uh, Actually, the first sitting will be earlier than that um, at 6, but bring it to the 8.15 sitting and we'll have a Ceremony of renunciation with your cellular devices. So it could be your phone, it could be even your iPad or um, computer if you want. And even if you think like, oh, I'll just let it idle on the table, you know, I would recommend you let it go because uh, (laughs) it can be too tempting to uh, go back into that world, uh, which will just pull you in with all kinds of worries and... uh, things you feel like you need to respond to. So give yourself the gift of freedom uh, from uh, this kind of uh, entanglement, you could say, for a week, for eight days, and see what it's like for your life. Likewise, similarly, so phone, email, um, and communication with each other also. So even if you came with someone who is a friend or partner or uh, family member, Allow each other to have your own retreat, I would say. So among the conditions that are supportive for our own development is to practice mindfulness, so tracking our own heart-mind system. So let us worry about any things that happen for this other person. So if they sneeze, don't worry. They can go to the manager. They can get tissues. They can get um, vitamin C if they need to. If they have trouble with the meditation, they can come to us. We'll talk to all of you about this. So uh, allow each other to have your own experience, meaning uh, you don't need to sit next to each other at the dining hall, you don't need to go for walks together, uh, you don't need to write each other notes. In fact, don't do any of these things, just allow each other to have your own uh, retreat experience. And again, like you and your cell phone at the end of the time, uh, you can come together and see how it, how it went. Now this kind of um, silence or uh, renunciation of communication is uh, just one of the preconditions for allowing us to deepen in our practice. And sometimes I liken it to um, putting on the wetsuit that you might wear uh, before you go uh, scuba diving. Now I understand this is a seasonally inappropriate metaphor here because (laughs) nobody is going scuba diving, but... um, for those of you who have been on a retreat, you probably know that people often will ask you after the retreat um, primarily about the silence. That's the biggest deal that people want to know. Is like, what was it like not to talk to people? And as those of you who have been on a retreat know, that not talking to people is the least of it. You know, <laughs> like in some ways, that's just like putting on the wetsuit, the mask, the fins, the equipment that will allow you to go deep, and that will allow you to see all the amazing undersea life that we otherwise ignore, you know, we don't know about uh, because we're on the surface. So as we enter retreat, also encourage you to uh, try to let go of all of these things as much as possible. Try to be very patient, very kind with yourself. 
in your arrival and allow yourself to fall backwards uh, into the Dharma, fall backwards off the boat with all of this equipment. So, wishing you all a very fruitful retreat. It's an interesting thing to come into this environment. It seems to me that it's become kind of almost a recognizable normal thing to do in a certain way, at least in a certain element of our society and culture. It used to be it was a really weird thing to do. And if you said you were going on a meditation or a retreat, people might hiss or, you know, do a crucifix or, you know, some kind of, like, that's really weird and bad and dodgy. And sorry, I hope I haven't, you know, misused anyone's um, important symbols in terms of sounds or images to uh, to say that. But that that's kind of the sense I have um, with it. And there's something really interesting now that actually meditation and even retreats have become something relatively normal in our culture. I don't know if you've noticed that, certainly for me in the sort of the the years and decades of engagement with this, it's profoundly changed. And even I was listening to some mainstream sitcom type thing and one of the main characters, I don't do that very often, but one of the main characters said something like, well, I'm not going on a silent retreat, you know, as if that was a normal thing to do and they just weren't doing it this time. You know, I think they were going away for the weekend and the person was worried or something. And it was like, I said, wow, it's become part of the currency of our language. Um... And that's great because it makes it accessible, but there's also something about really acknowledging that what we're doing here, there's something also sacred about this. This isn't just a place where we can come and learn some technology to adjust our experience and make it a, be a bit more comfortable thing to have a heart and a mind and a body. It's something that runs much deeper than that. And so a couple of things that go with that that I, I just want to touch on One is to do with the the way in which we step away from the world of words, not just in terms of speaking, as as Anushka was speaking and used so delightfully about, I've not heard the image of the scuba diving and the idea of going backwards off the boat. It's just, oh, I was really enjoying hearing that sense of it. Um, But also in the realm of language itself, and one particular thing with that, reading and writing, And it might be something that's already in the guidelines that you've seen and heard, but there's something really important and useful about putting all of that world away. So if you didn't bring devices, you brought novels or profound spiritual scriptures to contemplate. Equally, the invitation is to put them away. Leave them till the end of the retreat. And in terms of writing... You may have an urge to record some of the things that arise for you, some of the things you hear. Please know that all of the or the the sort of core elements of the teaching we're offering will be recorded. It will be available and freely downloadable in the remarkably um, immediate future after the retreat is ended. And so you don't really need to keep a running record of what's being offered. And with your own experience likewise there's something about letting it find its own way and trusting that you don't have to keep hold of it by recording it in any detail if there's the odd line or word or phrase that touches you you want to note that's fine but uh, 
It's not like a study program here where we're going to examine you on the end, at the end of it, to see if you remembered what we said. Or remembered what you thought at any point along the way. And there's something about the space that comes when we consciously step away from the world of words. Which is, in, in a way, it's, it's more of the same wetsuit that Anushka was speaking about. But I just want to say it specifically in terms of reading and writing. And um, with regard to notes, particularly, that if you're concerned about something, you can communicate with the staff through a note. And if there's something of serious concern to you in your own process, you need to communicate to us. Notes can be used for that purpose. And if you're concerned about someone else, you can let us know and we'll check out and make sure they're okay. So obviously, that's, um, again, that's a way of using skillfully and appropriately these particular um, capacities. But uh, apart from that, the, the opportunity to write notes is something that it, it, it's not accidental that the pieces of paper are quite small. It used to be there was only one or two pens, but these days there's quite a few of them. But there's, there's a sort of subtle message, or not so subtle message in that. Um, uh, maybe I don't need to say any more on that. But, um, but there's something very powerful in that, that stepping away from the world of words. And, uh, and that is in a certain way honoring something sacred, something precious, something beautiful that's here, that's of what human beings are. And that is very central and essential to the heart of what the Buddha was teaching and speaking of. And the Buddha was just a human being like ourselves, and yet a remarkable human being, it seems. And one of the key elements of his teaching, which isn't necessarily what's become so clear or prevalent in popular culture, is the recognition that the way we orient our intentions with regard to the impact of our actions, that this is fundamental to any beneficial or transformative potential in meditative practice and inner development. And so, in that context, within these retreats and in the insight meditation tradition and the larger sort of world of, of Buddhist teaching and practice, there's an, a recognition and an orientation towards an intention to refrain from causing harm to others and to ourselves that's held within a particular framework that I'll, I'll touch on in a moment. And I know many, if not all of you, will be quite familiar with this. But just actually locating this in terms of its significance is important because Caring about the impact of our actions is central to what we're engaged in here. If we care about our own well-being, we need to equally care about the well-being of others. They cannot be separated in any real way, in any fundamental way. And I think this is a message and a learning that's starting to become clearer, although there's still plenty of views to the contrary out there. But there's a way in which, oh, we can't actually really deeply take care of ourselves unless we equally take care of each other and ultimately all, not just all beings, but all of life. And so at one level, this intention of non-harming is actually an enlightened form of um, self-care. But it's also a foundation for the mind's and heart's capacity to settle and rest. That uh, 
Sometimes people come thinking, you know, why is my meditation not working? I'm trying really hard. I'm putting in the effort and the hours and all of that. And it's actually, well, the meditation can't override how you live your life. It can't. It doesn't. And that has a profound effect. I'm not saying that, that anyone here is living their life other than in a good or a wholesome way. Of course, I don't know the details, but I can't imagine you'd be coming here for a 10 days, as Anushka was saying before, you know, that you'd choose to do this at this time without some real connection and orientation towards goodness and care. And so in the tradition, we take as training frameworks the intention to refrain from harm in five particular ways that are relevant here on retreat and equally in one's life. And I'd like just to name them and say just not too much, hopefully. I'm sometimes not good at not saying too much, so I'll try in this regard because I could speak for quite a while here. Um, the called in in the tradition the precepts or ethical guidelines, and they're not like commandments, but as I said, frameworks for intention that orient towards the possibility of not harming others. And the first precept to refrain from killing and in that spirit from harming any living beings. And natural, obvious, understandable, of course, we would wish this. And in that, you know, we may not be that likely to breach it, we would think, and I trust that's the case. And yet equally to be aware of the small creatures in our midst, whom we might sometimes not wish to share the space with, or share our dinner with, or whatever it might be, and just to see, oh, can we be careful and respectful if we need to relocate them? To know that even the smallest creature, their life is as precious to them as our own life is precious to us. And in terms of well-being, of course, we all wish to be safe from harm. This is something that connects us. The second precept is to refrain from taking those things which are not ours and which are not freely offered to us. So to respect the property of others and the property of organizations or institutions like IMS, to not take or misuse things because it causes distress and distrust when things are taken or misused. And we all know what that's like if it happens to us. Again, it's not something that's that likely to happen, but on the other hand, in subtle ways it's worth being aware of it. I remember once on a retreat here, it was the middle of the night in the context of quite a long retreat and there'd been a cushion I'd been looking at for quite a while thinking that looks a lot more comfortable than my cushion. So at about two in the morning I was wandering into the hall and I thought, oh, maybe I'll try that cushion out. And I sat on it and it was great. I thought, oh, this is really a good cushion. And then someone walked into the hall behind and walked right up to where I was and stood behind me. I was thinking, I'm sitting on their cushion. I'm sitting on this person's cushion and they've found me. Now, I don't know, because they then walked out. I never found out. I never saw that person. But when we take or misuse things that aren't ours, it creates a certain agitation in the heart. Even if we get away with it, as it seems I did. But I didn't really get away with it. And it's just, again, a point of, oh, what is it to really live from that sense of, of care about things, which in the end we are very connected to? The third precept is to refrain from causing harm through sexuality as for lay people. To not cause harm 
through expressions of sexuality, which in the context of a retreat we establish is refraining from engaging in any intentional sexual activity. That doesn't mean that sexuality won't arise as an energy in thought, heart, mind, body responses. Of course, that's naturally part of being human. But in this context, having the intention to not act on that in any way so that we all can be here as simply human beings. We don't make each other into sexual objects and we don't need to be in the particularly sort of constrained condition of being made into such by others, even if we're not aware that it's happening. But there's a shared intention that, okay, we're just simply here together, human beings. And in this, there's no rejection or judgment of human sexuality. It's not some puritanical or sort of judgmental position. It's more acknowledging appropriateness and the, the need for skill and care in this realm. And outside of a retreat, that's the appropriate guideline with regard to that field of human experience and activity. The, the fourth guideline is to refrain from harmful expressions of speech within, in the context of the retreat and silence, to refrain from forms of speech that can cause harm, which would be falsehoods, distortions, also elements of using speech in sort of ways where it might be endeavouring or seeking to hurt another, or hurtful to another. And in this, the silence holds us to a large extent, but those places where there will be communication and there will be times when we'll meet with you in small groups and individually and in other communications you might have, just seeing what it is to say it the way it is and not slightly amplifying or underplaying the truth of it in order to get some advantage, which is the most common way we do that. And I do that and I imagine at times you will notice yourself doing that. We just sort of slightly sort of nudge the way it is into looking a little bit better according to what I want to achieve. And just, okay, it's like this. And see how that goes. The fifth precept is to refrain from the use of alcohol, drugs, intoxicants, substances that we might use to, uh, to calm, to dull, to, in a way, affect the state of heart and mind that we have and here a real profound respect for consciousness for this remarkable miracle that we're able to be awake even though it's not always entirely comfortable to be so not seeking to manipulate or control or distort or damp down this experience of being human being alive being what it is that we are but to become interested to understand it and so with that, in this context, to, to consciously be willing to step aside from those things in our culture that we so easily and unconsciously use, that have the effect also of often leading to forms of, or kinds of action that perhaps we might later regret, that may cause us harm to others or to ourselves. And this is the, the function and the effect of intoxicants and intoxication is it easily leads to harmful behavior. With all of that being said, of course, if you are using medicine, medication for the well-being of your body, heart or mind, 
of course it's right and important that you continue to make use of that in the context of this retreat and this is not the time to suddenly decide that despite whatever the uh the program was for that you've decided you're going to do something different at this point that's something to be decided with whichever medical professional you engaged in that treatment with the guidance of and with these precepts and actually just to say with this precept again it seems like a relatively obvious thing come together in a sort of in a sacred framework and orientation towards really what is at the heart of our lives i would say and it might seem obvious and not particularly a big ask for some people, this isn't actually just a casual relationship or a casual issue. For some people, the relationship with intoxicants is a life or death issue. And by each of us choosing to say, no, actually I won't engage in that, we support those people for whom it's not, as I said, a casual thing, but actually essential and remarkably or incredibly demanding as a challenge to stay free of such things. And so these, these precepts and um, this framework of refraining from harm, so far as we can, it's not about somehow doing it perfectly or getting it right in every moment, because we can't. But an intention that underlies how we endeavor to live. And I remember the first teacher I ever practiced with when I started um, and get, encountered these teachings and practices in, in, in Asia, in India, in fact, many years ago. And he observed at the uh, beginning of the course, you know, imagine what the world would be like if all human beings were to follow just one of these guidelines, just any one of those five. If all human beings followed them, what a world it would be. Remarkably different than it is. And imagine if all human beings could follow them all. What a world that would be. My gosh, incredible. Of course, that may not be so likely to happen in the immediate future, but in fact here, right now, by all of us undertaking these precepts, we can create this world right here, within the field that we share. Precepts allow safety, allow us to be open, allow us to be vulnerable, because we trust, not just in each other's intentions, Perhaps more fundamentally, we trust in our own orientation to the sense of care, to the sense of goodness that is actually at the heart of what we are, but which speaks with sometimes a much quieter voice than the, the loud and sometimes compelling imperatives that might otherwise direct our choices and actions. And so we ask you here, and I ask you here, and everyone here at IMS working here, practicing here, equally undertakes these precepts at the very least for the time they're here and for some of us of course is something ongoing so thank you for your attention to that i want to just in a moment pass you over to tara but just as i do i just want to also take a moment to in a way introduce and welcome you here more fully i know anushka teachers here quite frequently but for Tara this is not such a common thing and being in a um, teacher training program and process as she is it's also quite a, a step into a you know an interesting territory shall we say and I'm really glad that you're here with us and um, 
she will be, you know, contributing and offering into the retreat um, together with Anushka and Catherine and I over these days. And I'm, I'm, but uh, yeah, so there's some. I'll I'll I'll, I'll leave you there. Thank you, Yanai. Um, so I also want to welcome you, but I really want to just um, express my admiration uh, for what you're doing, what you're about to do. So often it, it takes so much just to get here. Um, and, um, and I really appreciate um, the effort that I'm, I'm sure went into um, beginning this process um, so I'm going to talk a little bit about taking the refuges, the three refuges that we do. Um, Anushka mentioned that in doing this intensive retreat practice, we're letting go of some of the refuges that we commonly or habitually turn to um, often in our in our daily lives. And um, we're actually, you know, you're actually doing something quite courageous and instead developing a different relationship to your experience, the experience that's arising moment to moment. And um, learning courageously to understand this mind and understand this body and start to see more and more clearly the mechanisms of suffering and the mechanisms of non-suffering. the ways to feel more at ease, um, more contented, more happy, um, to be more kind, uh, to be more loving towards ourselves and others. So in doing that, um, you know, what are we taking refuge in instead of, uh, what can we take refuge in instead of what we habitually do uh, when we've closed off those routes that we often take um, to somewhat kind of escape our experience. And um, we can take refuge in the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. Um, traditionally, uh, traditionally, that's what, what we do. And um, I'll explain a little bit more about, about that from at least my perspective and experience. Um, you know, we can do it, we'll, we, we do it collectively and um, you know, at the end, when I'm finished talking, we, um, you'll have the option to participate in, in chanting, taking the refuges and the precepts that you and I talked about. Um, but we can also do it individually and explore in our own practice how it might be supportive, particularly um, when facing difficult moments in the practice, difficult terrain, to turn to um, this, this ancient um, form of taking refuge in the Buddha the Dharma and the Sangha. Uh, for me, it's been a really very important practice. And um, so let me talk a little bit about each of them. Taking refuge in the Buddha. Buddha s- simply means awakened one. So um, we can take refuge in uh, the historical teacher of the Buddha who um, you know, practiced diligently and then taught for many, many years and for, from whom we're still benefiting in this, this kind of extraordinary way. We're coming together. And um, a lot of that has to do with the extraordinary efforts of, of the Buddha. But 
Um, also, um, as I mentioned, it simply means the awakened one. So we can turn to taking refuge in our own capacity for awakening. Um, and, and really seeing that um, things like having the courage to come here, having that seed of wisdom, that seed of self-compassion, that's a seed of awakening. In fact, perhaps um, it's a manifestation of awakening. So if um, it ever um, seems appropriate to you, like I said, we'll take the refuges and the precepts optionally um, together, but you can also think of taking refuge individually before sittings. Um, I have been doing that for a very long time and it's um, been very supportive of my practice. And so you can turn in taking refuge to the Buddha, to this, your own capacity for awakening. This uh, teachings were given because, um, as it said, we're all, we all have this capacity innately within us. And um, throughout this process of this retreat, I'm sure there will be many things that through your diligent practice you will see um, and uh, learn more about how to relate to your experience that will make you happier. And um, so, and then taking refuge in the Dharma. The Dharma can be thought of as the truth or as the teachings, uh, the truth of the way things are. Taking refuge, instead of turning towards experience um, with a mindset that we know tends to lead to contraction and suffering, with a mindset that um, sees things that are impermanent as permanent, or that sees things as impersonal, that I sees things that are as personal that are impersonal, or sees things as reliable that are actually unreliable, starting to take refuge in actually seeing the truth of the way things are, um, that this is actually the way towards a greater sense of safety um, and ease in the world. And also taking refuge in the teachings. I, when I take refuge in the Dharma, for me it's a way of kind of pointing towards really simplifying, taking refuge in the most kind of simple way that the teachings have supported me. So I often think to myself when I take refuge in the Dharma, I'm taking refuge in mindfulness and loving kindness. And just that knowledge that I have um, that this particular practice is going to be the way through whatever difficulty has arisen. That I, that I know that from my previous experience, that that is the, the true refuge um, rather than a, the habitual reaction of, of turning away from experience or pushing it away or trying to cling to experience. So if there's, there's something for you in the teachings that has been particularly supportive, um, you might call that to mind if you take refuge in the Dharma. Taking refuge in the Sangha, the Sangha, the community of practitioners. And um, it's, there's something very beautiful and profound often about practicing uh, with other practitioners, particularly in this kind of intensive retreat um, this intensive retreat environment, knowing and seeing that the um, perseverance of other practitioners and um, the ways in which they are challenging themselves and um, the energy, just simply the energy of people's effort, the energy of people as they practice, um, can be very supportive. 
And so just taking refuge in that, and we're all, as you know, I mentioned, um, stepping into also this kind of ethical, non-harming framework, um, and, um, and that way of relating to each other that brings safety. So we can begin to take refuge in that, in, in, in what we're offering to each other as we practice. I um, recently practiced for a month at a sanctuary um, in a very different environment in terms of weather. (laughs) It was on Maui. (laughs) Um, And um, uh, there was only one other practitioner there. And at a certain point in um, my retreat practice, I felt the absence of that support that I often have felt. This is the first time I did a retreat like that where there wasn't a huge group of, a large group of practitioners around of that length, particularly of the retreat. And um, I felt the absence of that and I called to mind, I tried to take refuge in the Sangha by calling to mind my home Sangha in San Francisco. Um, I called to mind the um, practitioners that I practiced with before, memories of retreats where um, so many people had practiced with me so diligently. Um, I also called to mind, I knew that there was a three-month retreat happening here at IMS, a number of people that I knew who were practicing, and I called them to mind. And it filled my heart. It gladdened the heart. This is one of the things that taking the refuges can do, taking the refuge in the uh, one's capacity for one's own awakening and the truth or the teachings, and also in the sangha and the community. gladdens the mind and um, helps to bring strength to our practice. So with that, um, I'm just going to lead us, again, if you would like to, take the refuges and precepts. We will take them in Pali, which is the language that the Buddha's teachings were written in. And again, if you, um, for whatever reason, don't wish to chant the the refuges and precepts. You can just listen to the sound, open to the sound as a practice and open to the community. And I'll say the first line once, um, I'll chant it once and then um, everyone can join in for the next three rounds. I have a little bit, I'm fighting off a little bit of virus so I'll do my best. Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa. 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 Buddhang saranangachami, dhammang saranangachami, sanghang saranangachami, dutiampi buddhang saranangachami. Dutiampi dhammang saranangachami. Dutiampi sanghang saranangachami. 
Tatiampi Buddhang Sadanangachami Tatiampi Dhammang Sadanangachami Tatiampi Sankhang Sadanangachami Panatipata Veramani Sikapadang Samadhyami Adina dana veramani sikapadang samariyami. Abramacharya veramani sikapadang samariyami. Musawada veramani sikapadang samariyami. Sura Meriya Majapamada Tana Veramani Sikapadang Samariyami Iram Me Silam Magapalanyanasa Pachayo Hotu Thank you, Tara. So I'd like to speak a little bit about the, uh, the meditation practice just briefly and then a little bit about the schedule for tomorrow. But we've been sitting here quite a while and I think you've probably been sitting here a little while longer. So if you'd like to take a moment to just stretch, if you need to adjust or move your body, you want to stand up and that, please don't go anywhere. We won't be here too much longer unless you're having something of a biological emergency. Um, but do feel free if you'd like to stretch. You don't get extra points for remaining unmoving here. Um, although you, you really don't get more points for moving around. We just don't do points. And when you've done what you feel your body needs you to do just now, without having to rush, you can find your way back to a seated posture. And we're going to be in silence, as we've said, for these next eight, nine days. Um, and one of the interesting things, one of the interesting things that happens, I was just noticing, I, I said to Anushka earlier, just watch out if I start to get confused, because at this point my body thinks it's about two in the morning, and uh, I can see things starting to scramble as the the words go spinning around in my head, but I think it's still relatively coherent, at least from my end, I hope from yours. But uh, um, one of the things that happens here is that we, 
at this end get to sit and look at you and it's rather lovely from where I'm sitting at least. You have slightly fewer options in terms of who you get to look at. So just here at the beginning, if you'd like to, and you absolutely don't have to, but if you want to just look around a little and see who's here, you don't have to make some deep soulful contact with, you know, gazing into someone's eyes. Um, but just notice who's here. You don't have to see every single person, but just, huh, look at this. As uh, Tara was speaking so beautifully just now, this is our community, our Sangha. And although you perhaps don't know so many of the people here, I know quite a few of them. And even those of you I don't know, I've found it quite reliably so that it's kindly good-hearted people who come to such retreats. There's not really that much in it for you if that's not something of where you're coming from. <laughs> so even if they come, they don't necessarily stay so long. It doesn't mean that if someone leaves early, that's the reason. But, uh, <laughs> but at the same time, it's like, oh, okay, how lovely. Look at this. What a blessing we have this community for these days. And from here on in, of course, we'll be with ourselves very much. But we're equally with each other in a certain way. And so, just briefly, because I know you've been here. Sorry, it's probably been, for many of you, long journeys to get here, or some of you, and certainly if not long journeys, long days, or long weeks, or years, or possibly even long decades, um, in terms of the fullness of our lives, at least for many of us. So, I'm hoping we'll be wrapped up in 10 or 15 minutes. But just with meditation, to say very briefly... Again, it's not like it's such an unfamiliar thing, but we very easily imagine meditation as a particular technique or a particular way of paying attention to a particular kind of phenomena or experience. It's much more an attitude and an inner orientation that's interested in what's here and what's now and what's possible in this situation. What's possible to see, what's possible to discover, What's possible to bring forth from our heart and our mind and our life and offer to this condition, this situation that we're in? And so the meditation tools that we employ and the techniques and the frameworks are in the service of a, allowing this natural capacity for wakefulness. Again, as, as Tara was speaking, taking refuge in this capacity for waking up that is founded in our natural and innate capacity for wakefulness and allowing this to come to bear upon our experience and on our life. And so just taking a moment to feel your body sitting. You don't have to get into some meditative position to do that. You can do it like this or like this or however your body is right now. Because it's like this right now. However it is, it's like this. And start from there. And then, having made some contact with the body, so you're conscious and sensitive and in a caring relationship with this physical structure, this organic life, then consciously settling it into a posture that could be supportive for meditation. So just feeling where your body rests upon the earth, your bottom on the cushion, your knees on the ground, your feet on the floor if you're in a chair. Just that contact with earth, with something firm that we can rest upon and which supports us. And it's here for us. Taking a few moments once we've found that sense of contact with earth to just establish the body upright. Consciously orienting 
orienting the torso, a sense of rising up from that ground, that earth, that contact, sense of uplifted verticality, rising up into the space around us, into the sky, we could say. Just noticing there's plenty of space above. If it feels a little crowded around you and there's lots of people here, it seems, actually most of the space here is empty. Everything above our heads right now, which is two-thirds to three-quarters of the room, nothing at all in it. In a sense of a, when we have a sense of space, we can allow ourselves to open, to rise, to expand into that. With a sense of uprightness. And then with that also allowing ourselves to relax. So far as we're able, not trying to force that to happen, but just allowing the body to soften, to relax. Noticing if there's any if there's any tension in the face, the head, the mouth, the eyes, the jaw. Again, softly sensing into it, allowing it to soften or release just so far as it can, without trying to force it to do so. And feeling into the area of the neck and the shoulders. Again, just inviting and allowing a softening, a relaxing. So that the, the chest can be open and the belly soft. So the breathing can flow just however it does, but naturally in your body. Not forced or constrained, particularly. And bringing your attention into this felt sense of body sitting here, body breathing in, body breathing out, just however it does, just however you are right now. And letting this be a place of gathering, of collecting, of connecting and of returning. So that we can start to establish a sense of conscious presence in the immediacy of our life that is right here. That is right now. That is simply this experience. As it is. And not pushing away or rejecting other experiences that come, but neither picking them up or pursuing them. Just letting the attention gather, collect, and connect with this sitting here. Felt experience of breathing in and breathing out. And we'll just practice in this way for a few minutes together. One breath at a time, one moment at a time, just for now, just this, just as it is.
And if you become lost or distracted, feeling drowsy or fuzzy, just reconnecting, beginning again. Simply being awake to this body sitting here, breathing, just as you are. So thank you. I'm just feeling rather happy at the prospect that we're going to get to do that some more over these next days. And I'd just like to let you know, um, you've perhaps seen the schedule already. Uh, it's usually a topic of some interest. Um, but just in case you haven't, or um, and also just to clarify, tomorrow morning, um, We'll begin with a wake-up bell at 5.30 and uh, we'll have a sitting together at 6 o'clock through till breakfast at 6.30. And some of you might, if you've not done this sort of thing, think, gosh, that's rather early to begin. Um, but it's kind of maybe useful for you to know 5.30 in the context of the traditions and the sort of communities of practice from where these teachings and practices come from. Mostly one would probably find oneself getting up, you know, 3 o'clock, 3.30, maybe 4 o'clock in the sort of more relaxed places. Um, so I kind of think of 5.30 as kind of getting to have a lion. I know it might not seem like that entirely, but there's something of that. And so um, it is early. And in this context, that's when we begin. If tomorrow because of the fullness of your days or your life in recent times, it feels like what would be wise and skillful for you is to get a little more sleep. It's fine if you wish to not come to that sitting. That's for tomorrow. For the following days, it'll be a slightly different message. Um, 
not that we're ever going to come looking for you if you don't turn up. And, and, you know, in some traditions, they sort of someone with a stick will knock on your door and invite you to come to the meditation. Um, but we don't do that here. We leave it for you to find your way here. And yet, if you need to get some rest tomorrow morning a little more, please feel free to do so. I mean, you can skip breakfast as well if you want, but somehow that seems more compelling for most. Anyway, up to you. Um, and then... After breakfast at 7.15, there'll be the working meditation and the offering of service, for many of you at least. There's others doing it at other times, supporting the community and the uh, the centre here. And then we'll come back together at 8.15 after breakfast, and that will begin with some reflections and some further and more detailed instructions on the meditation practices. And... Um, and Anushka has just reminded me, thank you, that tomorrow, even though it doesn't say it on the schedule, we will begin with the renunciation, the letting go, the release, and the liberation from cell phones um, ceremony, which is a rather joyful thing. And so, uh, yes, that, that will happen at 8.15. And both tomorrow and ongoingly, at that time, we'll be giving you information as well as instructions, but also about the, the way the day is going. So it's really important that you're there and that you're there on time so we can begin at 8.15. That's always important, but it's particularly important for that sitting. And then um, the day will continue with further practice of walking, of standing, of sitting meditation, and we'll say more about that as we go. I think that's probably enough to get us through to then. Um, just want to check, is there anything else practical that you're aware of we maybe need to say at this point? Okay, great. Does anyone have any questions with regard to anything practical about what we need or what you might need to know to be able to get through till tomorrow morning? Okay, great. So just to finish then, um, sorry, was that a hand? No. So just to finish then, um, if there's anything you need to do to be complete, it's good to do it now. If you need to send the last message to some friends to say, I won't be talking or available until Sunday next week. or Is that Sunday? I think so. Yes. Or, or, or someone say they'll be unconcerned about the fact they don't hear of you, hear from you. Let them know tonight. If there's any business that you need to do, like getting your things out of the car so you can just be finished, it's good to do it tonight. So that when we wake in the morning, there's really an open space to enter into. And then, with that, I'd just like to um, share with you a last a communication from Catherine, who's I think quite a few of you know. She wanted to just have a bit to say. She actually had more to say, but I thought probably just a. a uh, a smaller offering. I think she actually was really, it was hard for her not to come um, tonight and be with you. But we decided that that was what was wise given the reality of how her body was. And so this is in her words. She says to you all, I'm sorry I can't be there for the opening talk. I have a strong cold. We don't call them viruses in England. We call them colds. Um, I have a strong cold, or should I say a strong cold has me. It does. And hope that by resting and staying warm, I might recover more quickly and be able to join you all before too long. I hope to see you soon. Safe travels. And I wish you all a blessed beginning of your retreat. So uh, 
She will be with us soon, hopefully in the morning or soon thereafter. And I also would like to really on all our behalf extend to you my blessings and uh, really uh, wishes for this retreat, that this be a time that serves our deepest well-being, each of us individually and collectively, and that it equally serves and contributes to the well-being of all beings, of all of life, of all that is. And that this is really a precious thing that we do here. So my blessings to you all. And I likewise wish you a good night's rest. I hope you sleep well. And we'll begin again tomorrow morning.